Hey, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. Excited to be back. Oops, amazing. Um, yeah, really excited to be back. We were um, traveling a lot, obviously, in New Zealand, Australia, and England, and we were just missing you guys. So, uh, some of you more than others, I'll be honest, but we were missing you. So, uh, no, it was really, it, we had a great trip, but it was really good to be back. So, um, I'm particularly, I've got to be honest, excited about the next few weeks because for me, the last few months have all been about pre preparing ourselves and getting ourselves ready for what's about to come. Um, so, I'm excited about the Because You're Loved. Uh, next week. I'm really excited about next week's uh, message. We're going to be sharing quite a lot of stories. I think if you bring people, they're going to really, really enjoy it and find it quite impactful. So, um, But we're going to continue with our um, Kingdom Principle series. Um, kind of appropriately, I think we should just thank uh, Ryan. Ryan's really sick at the moment, so he's been struggling, but he still turned up and did his thing. So can we just show him appreciation? That's right. I said to him before that um, we were, I went everywhere in England, we heard a lot of people and Australia singing and leading worship, and some of them singing the same songs we do, and in my opinion, Ryan has the best voice. Not the best looking, but the best voice, is what I told him, so don't clap him for that, just, <laughs> are you clapping him because it, I don't yeah, exactly, yeah. Okay, so um, just to introduce the theme, I know that uh, Mark spoke on use it or lose it. So this principle that as we use what God has given us, he will give us more. Just, um, I'm not one for reading out funny lists, but I, I like this list I'm about to read. Now, um, what I've noticed is this list is funny only in certain parts of the world. So when I read this list out in America, uh, it's a list of true employees' appraisals of their uh, employees so bosses appraisals of their employees when I read this out in America most Christians who love Jesus go oh that's really harsh that's really awful um, me I just think it's funny um, and in England it goes down well but I read this list these are true true appraisals official appraisals that bosses actually gave their employees first one starts off pretty the way it's going to go I would not allow this employee to breed that's pretty harsh I think um Good, you don't love Jesus either. That's good. Okay, so uh, this young lady has delusions of adequacy. It's pretty mean. Uh, since my last report, this employee has reached rock bottom and has started to dig. Um, his men would follow him anywhere, but only out of morbid curiosity. Um, he sets low personal standards and then consistently fails to achieve them. Uh, one of my favorites, this him. <laughs> Sorry. This employee is depriving a village somewhere of an idiot. Uh, this employee should go far, and the sooner he starts, the better. I wish I'd written some of these. Um, I like this one. Uh, he's a <laughs> he is a gross ignoramus, 144 times worse than the average ignoramus. Um, these next two are creative and, and clever. If you stand close enough to this employee, you can hear the ocean. And uh, my favorite is this one. This, <laughs> this employee is so dense, light bends around him. Can you imagine writing that on your appraisal? That's great. I love that. So, um, so thankfully, God uh, wants to use us. God wants to use us, but not in a bad way, in a good way. And he's an employee who absolutely, as Becca so um, brilliantly shared earlier, absolutely loves us so, so much. But he has a purpose for us as well. And so we've been looking at this idea of use it or lose it. And I wanted to start with the question, what is your it? Use it or lose it, what is your it? What is the, what is the thing you would like the Lord to increase in your life? 
Um, for Solomon, it was wisdom. Uh, for me, it's been influence. I've asked the Lord to, to give me influence for his kingdom. What's your it? What would be the thing that you would pray to the Lord and say, Lord, give me more of this? It might be some kind of blessing. It might be some kind of attribute. It could be um, something substantial. But what is it that God is calling out for you to use? So, um, I'm glad it's a little bit of a low attendance today with it being spring break because I'm about to share something I've never shared in America because it's dodgy. So, I get asked... Um, I get asked um, um, often, why, why did you come to America? And um, I have, there's two opportunities, there's two choices I can give to the answer. One is why we moved to America, uh, and uh, uh, the other one is why, why I first ever came to America. So I always go for the second one because the first one's awkward. Uh, but now I'm American, okay, just to prove it. I'm going to be able to share this with you, okay? So I feel like this is a bit like a crucifix, you know, with a, with a vampire. I'm going to have to kind of do this during this. Next. So I don't tend to share this reason, but I'll share it with you. So I think Bob knows this, a couple of people. But um, the reason we first came to America is a bit awkward. So on pays, people apply from all over the world. Uh, Lynn's job, one of, one of her jobs is to take people through the process so they might apply from Germany to go to Britain or from Britain to go to Ireland or wherever it might be. And um, many, many years ago, um, we would get Americans apply. And um, sometimes I would call up one of our national directors in the early days when we were just starting and say, hey, got good news, somebody's just applied to your nation. And they would say, great, where from? And I would say, oh, this one's from America. And they would go, oh no, how long will he last? And the reason being was that uh, in the foundational training when we do our kind of um, seminars, Americans were always the best by far. They always knew the Bible better than anybody else. And just with more spiritual, um, you were talking about encouragement, super encouraging, super enthusiastic. If anybody was writing and taking notes, it would be the American students. But usually halfway through the year, a lot of them would drop out. And uh, so when we were excited, oh, we got these Americans, that's great, but how long will they last? And I could never figure out why that was. And um, so I raised the money to go to uh, come to America to meet with some of the pastors that were sending apprentices. Because what was the straw for me that, that kind of broke the camel's back was that um, one person decided halfway through the year to stop. So um, in our interview, we asked them why they feel God's told them to come on pays. But this person said, oh, um, God's now told me to not be on pays, even though they'd made a year's commitment. So I'm thinking, that doesn't sound like God to me. I was always taught that the Holy Spirit will never tell you to break his word or your word. So I phoned the pastor up of this particular church, and he said, well, I've told it, if it's too tough, get out. Which is a completely different advice than my parents would have given me. Uh, and I'm sure you would buy Ben Manson nod. So that's why we first came over. And what, what I've often felt the difference in America and England, I'm American, okay, is that in England we're cynical and uh, we don't think God's going to do anything most of the time, I'll be honest with you. And uh, we are pretty cynical, it's not good. And um, what I love about America and I love about meeting you guys is that when we say we're going to do something, everybody's like, yeah, we can do it. Um, if, if I get up on a stage like this and say, we think we can reach into these schools and do this kind of thing, in England, traditionally, people are like, well, who are you to think you can do anything different? But that's not what you got. You have faith, and I love that. However, what I found 
is that uh, in America it's difficult because sometimes people get excited and then will always follow through. And that's been difficult. I'm not saying you guys like that, but as a general rule over the last 25 years, each nation has a bit of an attribute. We found Germans always want to know why. Uh, the, the Brits are always more abusive than anybody else. Uh, and the Americans are always most enthusiastic. So I think this is important because to build something, we have to stick at something. And um, we're just going to go through the kingdom principle one more time, just very, very quickly. Uh, Ryan, can you just pass me my little thing? Thank you. I appreciate it. So if you've got your Bibles, let's just open. I'm not going to spend too long this morning. But if you open at Matthew chapter 25, um, we're going to start reading from verse 14. I want you to bear in mind that this passage... Jesus is, is in the context of Matthew of the second coming. And I think that's important for reasons we'll talk about a little bit later on. So Matthew 25, verse 14 to 13. People that are expecting God, to, they're looking, when is God coming? When is he going to sort out the problems we've got? When is he going to fix things? And during this whole discourse, Jesus tells this parable. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called the servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. And then he went on the journey. The man who had received the five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two bags of gain gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid it, hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you've entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'm going to put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you've entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'm going to put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who'd received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the talents, sorry, in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvested where I have not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance who do... Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken away from them and throw that worthless servant out into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So, pretty heavy at the end, I always think, this, this particular parable. But this is where we see this principle of use it or lose it. God has entrusted things with us and he's expecting something back. And, and as I'm getting to know you guys more and more, it's amazing what God has entrusted to us. There is some skills, abilities, history, stories, all sorts of things that we've got. But God is expecting some kind of return. But he's a loving God. And he's not necessarily looking for certain levels of, levels of competence. He's looking for faithfulness. And many of us are, are looking for what God is going to do. So these guys, they're asking questions. When, when's there going to be judgment? When's God going to come and fix things? And in many ways, and this is where we, where we may disagree... 
I believe we're always saying, well, you know, we're always looking for a move of God, but I think God's already moved and God's looking for a move of man. You know, sometimes people say to me, why do you think God's moving in South America? You don't think he's moving here? God's always on the move. He's on the move everywhere. But what he's looking for is people who will use what he has given to them. But the devil is a deceiver. So um, he always was. In Genesis, it says this, the serpent deceived me. Uh, the word for deception there is uh, to delude so somebody kind of fantasizing, fantasizing about another truth. He's deluded them. Uh, he always will be. In Revelation it says, Then the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the fiery lake of sulfur. It's a different word there for deceive, which means to cause, to lead astray, a lead aside in error. And I think the devil has three quick misconceptions before we talk about some promises that God has for us. Uh, I think when I look into this story, so this story never happened. There was no three men. It's a story of Jesus' imagination. It's a figment of Jesus' imagination. But if it had, putting myself into the story and imagining what it would be to be the third guy, these are kind of misconceptions I think we have. Um, so the first one is this. We misconceive who God is. He says, I knew you were a hard man and I was afraid. And fear led him to hide what God has entrusted. In actual fact, as Becky was sharing, God is an absolutely loving God. I have made so many mistakes in what I've done and I've never ever felt God punish me ever for a genuine mistake, personally. I've just known God bless He's looking for faithfulness, but he's expecting mistakes. The second one is, uh, we don't realize what's being given to us. So my favorite translation of this, the, the, Jesus told this story at least twice. And we know that because he told it in two different places and changed the currency uh, for reasons we won't go into now. Um, so my favorite version, the simplest version from Matthew is normally a talent. So when I read this, I imagine myself as the third servant. I'm thinking, you know, he lines them up and he gives the, third, the first one five talents. And I think, oh, wow, five talents. Wow, that's pretty good. I'm expecting my five talents now. And the next guy only gets two talents. And I'm thinking, you only got two. I only get one. And I think one of the problems we do is we compare our talents to other people. And we hide them sometimes. We don't realize, actually, our talent's incredibly worthwhile. So when I, when I read that story, it says a talent. A talent doesn't sound an awful lot to me when I, when I read a talent. But actually, one minor was three months' wages, and one talent was 60 minors. That means that one talent was 15 years' wages. So even that little is a lot. And as we use it, God will give us even more. What's your talent? It might be the stories you tell, it might be your attributes, it might be your history, it might be some of the bad things that happened to you that you've experienced that other people haven't. What are the talents that you have? Don't compare them to other people's. I know I say this a lot, but the only person you should compare yourself to is Jesus. And the only person you should compete against is yourself. Incredible talents that we don't often realize that we have. Thirdly, before we talk about the promises, whose talent it is. So, quick quiz. The master gives his talent to his servants. Whose talent is it now? 
still the master's. It's still the master's talent. I can't remember if I told you this, so forgive me, but when I was younger, um, I've always been a bit stupid, and when I was younger, I was even more stupid, and I was a boy scout. I don't know if I've ever told this story. So in the boy scouts, you get badges for different things. Anybody ever been in the scouts? No, just, yeah, Howard and myself and Tom. So you get a little badge. So I got, um, I got an art badge, which is ridiculous because I can't do art, but I made a paper mache crocodile and I got a badge for it. I was pretty, I was pretty impressed. But the one that I was really proud of was I got a, um, like, I don't know what it was, it was like a, it was like a camping badge uh, because I'm able, and you'll be impressed with this, I'm able to go to a farmer's field, cut a square in the ground, cook sausages, put the soil back, and the farmer won't know within two days that I've been there. Yeah, impressed. So when I was, thank you. So when I was younger, in my mind, I thought this is going to be great for chatting up women. Okay, so 11, 12 years old, I'd go up to girls and go, arts and craft. And that was the luckiest to get. It didn't really work. Because in my mind, that's, you know, that, that's what my gifts were for, showing off. Here's the fact of the matter. Whatever God's gift is, is in you isn't for you. It's actually for me. If you have the gift of encouragement, God doesn't give Becky the gift of encouragement. She's given me the gift of encouragement through Becky. If God's given me gifts, he's not really given me gifts. He's given you gifts by putting stuff in me. They're not my gifts. They're his. And so we can't hide them if we're Christians because we've promised them to him but the devil is a deceiver he will say things like it's not worth much and it's yours anyway but actual fact at some point god is going to expect a return for what he's putting us and so he makes kind of promises and so when we look at this one of the problems is we we uh, if we remember the cloud line di diagram is at one end we have effort and at the other end of opportunity and it's almost as though we say, and I think Mark covered this last week, it's almost as though we think, well, well, what's the opportunity? What's the reward? Because based on that, I'll decide how much effort I put in. And that's what we call line dwelling. Cloud dwelling is understanding we need to be faithful with whatever God's given us, no matter what the circumstances, no matter what happens. So um, last night we got back from um, um, England and we got Joel and Lexi picked us up, came back early evening, I think it was late afternoon. Got home, pretty tired. Um, later last night, sometime evening, it suddenly occurred to me, I'm preaching tomorrow. <laughs> I've just done five tricks and I'm preaching tomorrow. And uh, so, and jet lagged helped, I've got to be honest. But I got up at 4.30 this morning to, to prepare. Now, I'll be honest with you, I didn't need to. Um, because um, I, I, I've been doing this for a long, long time. And one, I can preach this without notes. Two, and I've tested myself on this, you can give me any verse in the Bible or passage in the Bible and I can instantly preach on it. We'll talk about why a bit later on. So I just don't need any, any time, just because I've done it so often now. But I realize even though, even though there might not be many people today at spring break, if you're faithful, God gives you great opportunities. And God adds to what you give. And I'm sure you're in that same situation. When I think of faithfulness, I think of Howard. Most of you don't realize how he gets here. I think he's the earliest to get here, 7, 7.30, to, to prep and everything. There's always Ryan and, and David. And most of us don't see it. But if you're, if you're cloud dwelling, it makes no difference if people see it 
the, it's not about the opportunities to be seen. We're faithful anyway. And, and I think that's a wonderful thing. And, and God sees us in those small moments and does something incredible with it. So um, here's a couple of promises. First of all, use it and he will complete it. You're already in the process of becoming faithful. I don't know if you've ever wondered why God puts you in the situations he sometimes put you in. You ever like been in a situation and think, why God have you put me in this situation? I believe it's because God is still operating on the promises you've forgotten you made. So God is still operating in your life on the promises you made years ago that you completely forgot, maybe even as a kid. It's a bit like getting on an escalator in my mind. So you get on an escalator and you imagine you press a button and it starts going. God's taking you on this journey now. You're on this journey of purpose. He's taking you on this journey. And maybe what set that off was some prayer you made when you were 12 years old. You've completely forgotten it, but God's still working on it. At 12 years old, you may have said to God, God, I want to, I want to tell other people about you. Okay. He puts things in process. We forget we've prayed that, but God hasn't. He's still not. I was about some of the things we put. I love that uh, new song. Uh, the new song was it, um, For the Sake of the World, Light a Fire in Me. That's a strong prayer to pray. Now, you could have just sang the words, and that's one thing. But if you actually prayed it, if you sang it with meaning, God's going, okay, he's not sitting in heaven with a red button, but he's basically going, okay, start the elevator. And God's doing that because God has a purpose for us. And you can try and run down the escalator, but you're going to go in the wrong direction if you do. Have you ever tried to run down or going up the escalator? It's difficult and you usually fall over. That's what I found. So God's got us on this process, and he's ready to complete it. He's going to complete the work that he's done in you. You were designed with a purpose in mind. Sam says, uh, for you opened, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. You know what the difference is between a Christian and a non-Christian? A non-Christian chooses their purpose. A Christian discovers it. A non-Christian chooses their purpose because nobody you're the Lord of your life, so you just choose your purpose in life. A Christian has given their life to God. He has a purpose for it. So actually for us, it's about discovering what that is. Which is, I find exciting because his purposes are far better than ours. And we're on this elevator, if you like. He, he's moving, he's putting things in place to get us there and he will complete the work that he's putting us as we're faithful, as we practice that. Sam says, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. So I can choose anything else. I can choose my um, job. I can choose my spouse. I chose well. I can choose my hobby. I can't choose my purpose. God's already got that outlined for me. And all he's looking for is faithfulness in it. And the clues are, are all around for our purpose. Secondly, use it and God will provide endless new opportunities. You know, the world limits our possibilities and potential in many different ways. There are many things. Gender, certain nations are worse than others. Race, um, class, 
all these different things. What you don't realize is in England, um, people would judge me and even Lynn, maybe even more, because of our accents. So we have really what you would call common accents. In fact, the first time I heard Lynn talk, I'd been like keeping my own Lynn because she's pretty. And uh, we were in a home group together for the first time and I met Lynn and somebody asked Lynn a question and she opened her mouth and it was like, whoa. I went, in my head, I went, whoa, she sounds common. Because you just do, you judge people, don't you? I know, you just judge people by their accent. <laughs> so I, I'm using American phrases here, but basically 13 years ago, we got on a plane white trash and got off white collar. That's what happened to us. We got to America and nobody realized that we were, we were like commoners. People think Lynn sounds posh. England knows the truth. But people think that Lynn sounds posh. So the world has all these, no, but the world, doesn't it? The world has all these different ways of limiting our potential, but God doesn't. It's a wonderful thing. God does not have that, that problem. God um, loves us. Um, another little list. I don't normally read lists, but here's a second one. Um, most of the heroes of the Bible would never have passed the entrance exam if, if we were working according to the world's way. Moses stuttered. David's armor didn't fit. Solomon was too rich. David was too young. Elijah was suicidal. Gideon doubted. Samson had long hair. Noah was ridiculed. And Lazarus was dead, which I always think is a good excuse. But God's, God's, when you look at God's, the people that God used, he just doesn't have those same kind of restrictions at all. You're young, you're old. He has purpose for you. He has purpose for me. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. It's our faithfulness that will create the opportunity that we desire. 2 Chronicles says, The eyes of the Lord roam around the earth, whose hearts are fully devoted to him. That's what he's looking for. It's not about favoritism. That's the promise that God makes. In the word of God, it says he doesn't have favorites. There are no favorites. That's never going to limit. We're not there. You know, we're, not, we're not vying for the Father's attention, are we? He'll pay your attention, you attention, he pays me attention. He's just looking for faithfulness. And that's a wonderful promise, I think. I don't have to compete with anybody. It's not about fate. I don't live by fate, I live by faith. I don't believe there's fate. When people come on pays, um, I don't think, oh, they're fated to succeed or they're fated to not succeed. It's all about choice, it seems to me. God gives people choice. It's not about favoritism, it's not about fate, it's not about fortune, it's not about luck. Um, in 2002, England were in the World Cup and there was, some, um, <laughs> there was a survey done of English men who were football fans. 30% of them said that they would wear their lucky underwear during the games, which is pretty shocking. 4% said if their lucky underwear worked, they wouldn't wash it for the rest of the tournament. <laughs> Some of the women are heaving at the prospect of that. But it's not about fortune. It's not about superstition. Jeremiah says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And there's a, a proverb, I think um, Matt may have mentioned it last week, that I absolutely love. Don't throw away the water you're carrying because you see a mirage. I know leaders in my situation will say to me, if I just had the right team, no, be faithful with who God's given you. If I, just, if I could just talk with this kind of accent, no. But the accent that God's given you, there's a reason for it. 
Don't throw away what God has given you because you see a mirage. He wants you to be faithful. If you're faithful with what God gives you, he will give you so much more. And what I found is he'll show you why he didn't give you other stuff. So I'm not very, um, I'm not, I've got a lot better, but I'm not super charismatic. I, I won't go through all the stories, you've heard them before. But, but I have issues with my voice. I have issues um, getting on a stage with my memory. I have all sorts of issues because of something in my head. That's actually worked for me. I didn't realize that at the time, but I look back and it works for me. Because when I, especially when I was younger, I had to get on a stage, I couldn't be like some of my other friends. It forced me to really work at content because I didn't have charisma. Now, that's, I found that that was God's purpose for me because now I'm able to write books. Now I'm able to go to Queensland Church of Christ Council and talk about how we can help train their leaders. So don't throw away what God's given you because you see a mirage because the reason God's held things back is because there's a better plan for you. And thirdly, and, and lastly, before I ask you a specific question, use it and it will become more natural to you. Use it and it will become more natural to you. So I kind of preempted this a little bit before, but um, what I found is the more we use what God's done, the more it becomes natural to us. It actually changes the way we think. So like I said, I, you know, a while back, I, 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 did, I did this test once because I made this claim and I thought I better test it out. And I got people just give me random verses out of scripture and on the spot, I think I had 30 seconds to think it through. I had to do like a 10 minute preach. And it was really, really easy for me to do. It was because now I'm sure there's certain things you would do, there's certain talents and abilities you have. You know, some of you are engineers, some of you are doctors, there are certain things, you know, if you're a doctor, you'd just be able to diagnose. I would have to open a book and try and figure it all out. You would just know. So the more we use what God has given us, the more it becomes natural and actually easier for us to do those things. It's a promise that God makes and we see it. And faithfulness is the decision to do something intentionally, not based on what happens incidentally. Um, many years ago, um, I had some friends who were in a band um, it's, uh, set up by a guy called Andy. And uh, the band had a weird name. They were called the Worldwide Message Tribe. And their vision was to go into schools, do like rap, and then do a Friday night concert and all the kids would come along. And one of the things that really impressed me was um, I bought them for my local school. So Moston Brook, which was our local school, um, was infamous for the worst truancy rate in England. Uh, on an average day, it had 47% truancy rate. So on an average day, one in two kids just wouldn't turn up and some of the teachers wouldn't either. And before somebody burnt the school down, um, that was the issue that we had. That was the biggest issue we had. So I'm bringing this band. Now this band does like concerts for 2,000 people. And they would come and sometimes there would be literally six kids in the class. Here's what was amazing. They put just as much effort when there were six kids as when there were 6,000. And last year, the queen gave an award to my friend. She didn't knight him exactly. He got an OBE, which is, I think, one thing underneath a knighthood. Why? Because he was faithful. He was faithful in Manchester when there were six kids, put just as much energy, jumped up and sang and danced just as hard as they could as when they had 2,000 in the room as well. Their effort was not determined by the opportunity or the circumstances around them. It was determined by something inside them. And, and God, I believe, um, really blessed that. 
Have you ever thought, I know Mark talked about David, and uh, just before I ask you this final question, David, how did, how did this poor lad become this incredible king? It's, it's an interesting story, and there might be a clue in his coin. So um, around the time of David, he commissioned a coin to be made, and there were two, like every coin, there were two sides, basically heads and tails. On one side, um, this is just Jewish tradition tells us, on one side it said um, uh, there would be a picture that displayed the majesty of the king and he chose to imprint the Tower of David. So on one side it had the Tower of David, something that symbolized the majesty of the king. But on the other side, um, it had a shepherd's staff and shepherd's bag. Uh, and the people of the time said this, he never forgets that God has taken him from his flocks of sheep and made him king. He has other flocks to care for now, and he treats them as lovingly and as tenderly as he treated his little lambs. And maybe that's why God made him king. Because he was faithful with just the sheep that God had given him. And so he gave him a nation. Maybe there's a nation inside you. Maybe something really significant inside you. You have no clue what it is. And we're not waiting for our lucky breakthrough. We're not waiting for somebody to discover us or point it out. We're just going to be faithful with what God has given us. Over the next few weeks, there's an opportunity for you to be faithful. Uh, buy a t-shirt. Come out and do the drops with us. Opportunity to be faithful as servants of the king, to tell people about him. God sees that faithfulness. It'll become easier to us, and God will multiply it. So let me finish with this last thought. How do you know if you are faithful? So I was thinking about this um, yesterday as I was thinking about preaching. I was thinking, you know what? Um, people get up on a stage. I, I've been, you know, sat and listened to preachers. And people talk about godly attributes. And sometimes what goes through my mind, it's just the cynical old me, is well, that's great. But how, do, how would I even know? How would I know if I'm loving how would I even know if I'm faithful? How would I know these things? How, how do I know that stuff? How do I work it out? And maybe I don't need to. But I like to try and help us think through profound questions by asking really simple questions. Let me ask you a simple question. If you're asking the question, am I faithful? So I used to collect postage stamps um, when I was a kid. Postage stamps are really good because when you stick them on something, they stay stuck until they get to the destination. Um, more recently, I use post-it stamps. Post-it stamps don't. In fact, I don't know if you know the way that they were invented. Post-it stamps were invented because someone was trying to invent super strong glue and failed and instead invented super weak glue. And somebody else realized its potential. When you make a promise... Or when you say you're going to do something, are your promises like a postage stamp or like post-it stickers? Do they stick to something until it gets to the destination or they easily peeled off by circumstances? It's an interesting question for us to ask, I think. The word of God says that your yes be yes and your no be no. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. The word of God also says it's better not to make a vow than make a vow and break it. It's better not to make a vow in the first place. And as the people of God, uh, the Bible says, 
Um, suffering at least a perseverance. Perseverance to character and character hope. As we stick to what we say we will do, the world will recognize it as we're faithful. So are you a post-it stamp or are you more like a post-it sticker? Um, God willing, we're like post-it stamps. Here's the good thing. God's promises to us are like post-it stamps. God makes a promise and he will fulfill it. My last thought is this. When you say it, mean it. And when you no longer mean it, still do it. When you say it, mean it. And when you no longer mean it, still do it because you made the promise. And I believe God will take that faithfulness and do something really, really special in it.